0: It's time to take your seat
1: in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Here's your host, Mike Vaccaro. Hey, thank you, Chuck, and welcome once again, everybody, in the front row. I am your host, Mike Vaccaro. Behind the scenes, as always, J.R. Quitman, our creator, producer, director. And we remind you, we are a CLNS Media Network podcast. Be sure to go to clnsmedia.com to check out more great shows. We thank you for watching and also remind you to subscribe to our show. Make sure you don't miss any more episodes coming up. For today, it's episode 63, and we go back to football as we talk with Robert Smith. Smith, who grew up just outside of Cleveland, outstanding football player on the track as well. Went on to Ohio State, was later drafted in the first round by the Minnesota Vikings, spent eight years there, and left as the all-time leading rusher. Now part of the Fox NFL crew, as he does games on Sunday afternoons, he shares his story, a great story with us here today. Episode 63, it is Robert Smith. Well, Robert, again, uh, thanks for for joining us here today. A lot to get to here with you, and we're going to tease a little bit. We're going to talk about your top 10 running backs of all time a little bit later on as well, but we want (laughs) to start with you because uh, you might be on your own list here because uh, your career certainly was an outstanding career, in the nfl before that in college but let's go to the very beginning for you back in the your early days growing up uh, northeast of cleveland and being outstanding running back how early in your life did, did kind of football or just sports in general emerge as a big part of your life
0: uh i was 11 years old fifth grade uh when i started running track and, and track was always my first love uh you know this is back in the era of carl lewis and you know that next year he would win four gold medals, uh, in LA and I would play my very first, uh, regular season NFL game in the Coliseum where he wow. had, uh, where he had won those four gold medals. So really incredible, but yeah. So I started running track, uh, mostly 100, 200 meter guy early, uh, got it in the 400 and, uh, you know, later in my career ran 400 and spent it's so crazy. It's been 30 years since I got drafted at the NFL. Uh, But a uh, a few weeks after I got drafted, uh, it would have been more than that. So it would have been the end of April. I got drafted April 25th. uh, And I think the first week of June, we won the NCAA 4x400. Uh, So I always had a love for track. But of course, you know, wasn't uh, fast enough to make it into a career. Uh, But uh, all the way up until my pro career, I was running track. But then the track coach was friends with the football coach. And so that next fall, uh, I went out uh, for football, and you know it was just kind of something to do in the offseason for me. My goal was always to break the world record in the long jump, uh, but uh, you know as I as I found out, advancing you know into high school, uh, football was definitely the better option.
1: How did track help you though in football?
0: Well, I think just from a speed perspective, you know, just kind of
1: not not wasting
0: energy, don't waste movement when you run. Uh, that was always, you know, a, a part of, of my running style, I believe. Um, but and then just, you know, just competing. You know, you just go out there, you know, tracks. A, it's a very elite sport uh, and only the very best in the world. You have to be top, you know, three or four in the world really to make a career out of it. Um, you know, so pe- people can run if they're not. But, uh, you know, if you really want to make a career out of it, you you know, you have to be the very best. So I think just understanding that, you know, as fast as you are, there's probably somebody faster. You just deal. But that doesn't mean that you don't go out and compete. And in a game, no matter what the score is, you compete. So I think just learning competition uh, and and learning to um, really put in the work. You know track especially when you're a 400 meter runner you just have to work so hard and you know that the other people are working hard and uh you know it was always my mindset that you might beat me but you're not never gonna outwork me
1: well again as you said the speed comes into play but in football you're getting hit how did that work for you the first time you were taking hits and and still able to kind of run the, the the football and and do some good things uh,
0: I definitely didn't like it when I first started playing, you know, I had never played a contact sport before. Of course, football is not a contact sport. It's a collision sport. And I remember taking, I took a hit like on a, uh, on a sweep uh, in one of the first few practices. It was just like, Ooh, okay, this is how this is. So you just really have to uh, train your body and your mind to fight through.
1: Well, obviously you fought through outstanding in high school for you. First time, Two-time uh, Ohio Mr. Football. So, so why did it work for you? Why did things translate so well for you on the football field and you had such great success on the high school level?
0: Well, I had so many great people around me too, though, and you know, people that believed in me. And it's, interestingly enough, just last week I was back at Euclid High School. Um, they put me into their Distinguished Achievement uh, Hall of Fame, so I was honored for that. Um, but you know, it was just, a, it was a really like a community effort, you know, went through a lot of things growing up, family issues, um, ended up moving out of the house, having a, a guardian when I was in high school. Uh, but the high school coach there, Tom Bank, I just had uh, lunch with him last week when I was back in Cleveland. And, you know, after my sophomore year, he said, you know, things are going to get really intense now. There's going to be a lot of pressure on you. There are going to be a lot of people that want to talk to you a lot of schools that want to talk to you, let's narrow your list right now. And then when those other schools come, we'll tell them thanks, but no thanks. Uh, And that's what we did. So it it took a lot of that pressure off of me. uh, And I just always had so much support, not just from my coaches, but from my teachers. You know, I was never treated like a jock. Uh, You know, it was always, you know, we want you to work hard. my You know, I remember like in my senior year in high school, uh, my science teacher, Mr. Reno, you know, he would let me teach physics class. He would, you know, put the chalk in my hand and go up and show him how to draw a vector, you know, things like that. So it was a it was a really uh, it was really a, an incredibly supportive uh, cast uh, that I had there. It was They were very nurturing uh, to all of my ability. So I'm, I'm grateful to the entire city of Euclid. A lot of people there really helped me get where I am.
1: Teaching physics. So, so physics is, is the one that you gravitated to as a, as a high school athlete.
0: I, I like physics and gravitate. That's an interesting choice of words. Uh, yeah. Phys- I mean, really any kind of science. You know, I, I was fascinated with astronomy from a young age. And, um, you know, it was funny when I was a rookie up in Minnesota, uh, I was out on the lake fishing and it was the first quarter moon. So, you know, the half moon. And I was like, oh man, I can afford a telescope now. So <laughs> I went to the mall and got a telescope and now I've got a big 14-inch uh, Mead computerized telescope. So everything from astronomy to physics, chemistry, biology. You know—I had to take a lot of that in college because I was uh, planning on going to medical school or at least had ideas of going to medical school. So I had to take all the pre-med science requirements. So a lot of biology, chemistry, and physics to go with a history degree.
1: Yeah, certainly not uh, the dumb jock, as you said, uh, uh, that, that you could have been, I guess. A very intelligent young man as a, a high school player and on the field, outstanding as well. Over 5,000 yards in your career. And Ohio football is big time football as well. Uh, what was it like during your time there in, in Ohio? And, and again, to have over 5,000 rushing yards, 67 touchdowns, that's pretty impressive.
0: Well, but for me, it was always about trying to win a state championship. And we lost in the first round when I was a sophomore. We finished the season 10 and 0, uh, the regular season 10 and 0, and lost in the first round to Youngstown Boardman. And then over the next two years, we only lost four games. And all four of those games were lost to the same team once in the regular season, once in the playoffs to St. Ignatius. Uh, and St. Ignatius would go on to win the state title both of those years. And I guess the mythical national championship from USA Today, I believe my senior year. And we actually played in the first nationally televised high school game my senior year, and we just got trounced in the regular season. But then in the uh, in the uh, playoffs that year, uh, I moved to quarterback and we ran kind of a Vera option. And uh, we were up 30 to 19 with like nine minutes to go in the game and ended up losing 31-30. So, you know, tough, tough lessons again, um, but you know, you you fight through, and you know, you come back and uh, do it all again.
1: Who were some of your your inspirations during that time? This is in the late 1980s. Were were there different running backs or quarterbacks that you were looking at and trying to emulate on the field?
0: I can't say that I was trying to emulate them, but you know, growing up, I loved watching Tony Dorsett. I remember seeing the 99-yard run against the team that I would end up playing for. You know, on Monday Night Football, uh, but Eric Dickerson, Marcus Allen, Walter Payton, I just loved watching those guys run. Uh, But I can't really say, at least at that time, you know, I guess if I had my career to do over again, I would have tried to incorporate more of those things into my game. Uh, Back then, I just kind of thought it was always, uh, you know, you need to go out and play your own game. But you can certainly learn some things uh, from a move perspective, setting things up, uh, you know, just kind of how you. Uh, how you go about uh, certain moves, uh, and you need to practice those things. Uh, So I I would say if I went back, uh, I think I'd be a a much better running back.
1: And was running back your preferred? Obviously, you became a running back in the NFL, but uh, did you have any notion of, uh, hey, maybe this quarterback thing could be what my future is? No, it was pretty clear
0: when I was throwing the ball. I don't think I completed a pass. I completed (laughs) passes when I was playing running back, halfback passes. Uh, but that's, uh, you know, as much because the guy I was throwing him to, Kevin Gaines, was a hell of an athlete. He ended up uh, playing for Louisville and, uh, you know, he was in camp with the Dolphins. But we had some we had some good athletes. So uh, my accuracy uh, was lacking, to say the least.
1: <laughs> well, well, well it, again, you became a running back. That's where the, the focus was. That's where the recruiters and coaches came calling. So who was on your list? Obviously, you went to Ohio State. But who else was on that list? Who else came calling that you maybe entertained?
0: Uh, it was really USC, UCLA, uh, Miami of Florida, and Ohio State. I mean, those are really the four. Now, I, Michigan, my coach, um, you know, he Tom Bank, he said that uh, Bo Schembechler wanted me to come up and see him. And I said, Coach, I'm not going to Michigan. He said, Bo Schembechler said that he wants to uh, sit down with you. You're going to see Bo Schembechler. So I ended up going up to Michigan and, and sitting and talking with Bo Schembechler, uh, but uh, I, I never really seriously considered there. It was, you know, it really came down to Ohio state and USC. Uh, and when I uh, set out my sophomore season at Ohio state, I was considering transferring. And so I took another trip to USC. And I also took a trip to Stanford and Denny green and Ty Willingham, the running back coach at that time were there at Stanford. So that's when I first met them. And then, Uh, the next year I went back to Ohio state, they had their first year with the Vikings. And then on draft day in 1993, Denny green made the call and he said, I let you get away once. I'm not going to let it happen again. So it's interesting how things work out.
1: Yeah. As you mentioned, you know, you had a great freshman season. Then you decided to sit out and and run track instead. What, What led to that decision?
0: Well, there was a a new coach that came in, offensive coordinator, really wanted to change the culture in his mind, but took a little bit too far. Uh, Flat out asked me to miss a a chemistry class during the summer uh, and go to practice instead. And I just I really didn't want to be a part of that. You know, looking back on it, um, you know, the guy wanted me out of the program. That's pretty clear from some of the other coaches that uh, that I was talking to. And he got what he wanted. And that's unfortunate. Uh, but it was a great. There were great lessons for me, just how to deal with certain situations. You can change things much better when you're part of a system as opposed to outside of a system. Uh, so I would have been much better off, I think, really staying in the program and um, you know just uh, kind of going through it. And I say better off, but you know things again have 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 a tendency to work out, and it's not always the plan that we imagine. Uh, But you just kind of have to uh, live life on life's terms and figure out where you need to go next. And because of uh, sitting out that year and considering transferring again, that's the reason that I met uh, Denny up at uh, up at Stanford. So it all ended up working out. But uh, just thinking about the situation, uh, you know, if if I wasn't, you know, a hot headed 19 year old, I I, I probably would have done things differently.
1: And as you said, you didn't have the best uh, home life as well. So who were you leaning on during that time to help you? Because that's it's a lot on a young man at, at that time. You know, it, nowadays as well, it's a, a lot on these young kids. But uh, who did you lean on?
0: Um, you know, I had friends, uh, former uh, employers that I, that I spoke with during that time. I ended up meeting my agent during that time. Didn't sign with him, of course, but um, I met him at that time. Uh, So got a lot of good advice uh, and decided to just go back and play again. Um, So playing, you know, only two years. And, you know, I think it was fewer than 20 games that I ended up playing. I know it was fewer than 20 games I ended up playing at Ohio State. So uh, just made that decision to go back. And, you know, running back, your your body uh, can only take so many hits. And you can either take those hits for free, at least at that time we didn't have NIL, you know, I, had, I got my first car five months before I got drafted and it broke down three months before I got drafted. No kidding. <laughs> so, you know, I wasn't driving around in a, in a Lamborghini like uh, Bijan Robinson. Um, but, uh, you know, you can only take so many hits. And so I made that decision uh, to turn pro uh, after only playing two seasons. And um, I think it was the right one.
1: Yeah, you returned for your junior season, 1992. You guys offensively, you had Kirk Herbstreit as your quarterback. Eddie George was a freshman running back. You had Joey Galloway as a wide receiver as well. You guys were pretty good offensively. Did did that make your job a little bit easier as well to come back and, and running the the football?
0: Yeah, it was a it, it was a stacked team. Raymond Harris, who ended up you know playing for the Bears and uh, for uh, for the Green Bay Packers, and you know he actually took over starting when I left. And then uh, Eddie started uh, the, you know, the two years after that. So, uh, you know, it was really a stacked team. Uh, Joey ended up getting hurt in this, in that first game. I broke my ribs and Joey tore his ACL in the first game. And it was against Louisville, against uh, a couple of my former teammates from Euclid, actually, uh, that uh, in that, in that first week that both of us got hurt. But yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a really stacked team. We didn't do what we wanted to do. We didn't end up winning the Big Ten. Uh, We had a tie with Michigan. Uh, When I was a freshman, we lost lost on a no-time left field goal to Michigan. Uh, If we had won that game, we were going to go to the Rose Bowl. And instead, we lost to them and went to the Liberty Bowl and lost to Air Force. Uh, And then, uh, you know, ended up with the tie against Michigan, and we lost to Garrison Hurst and uh, Georgia in the bowl game and had every opportunity to win that game. It was a late fumble on an exchange uh, between, uh, Herb Street and Jeff Catherine, the fullback, uh, and, you know, Georgia took the ball and scored the winning touchdown. So, you know, a lot of disappointment again, uh, but you just keep fighting through.
1: Well, you're talking about Michigan, Ohio state. We had Jay Billis on, uh, recently talking about the Duke North Carolina basketball rivalry in, in football or, or in your mind, is it any sport that Ohio state and Michigan is a great rivalry?
0: I mean, you know, everybody, everybody has their biases, right? And the, the programs that they're affiliated with or the region that they're affiliated with, they may have different ideas. But, you know, for us up there and that, that border, uh, Ohio State, Michigan is everything. And I wasn't a huge college football fan. I wasn't a college football fan at all, actually, growing up. Uh, you know, I was, a, I was a Pittsburgh Steelers fan up there in Cleveland, of all things. Uh, So I would watch some professional football. And, you know, as I mentioned, there were some of those backs that I like to watch, but I really didn't watch college football, but I knew about Ohio State, Michigan. Uh, That one was pretty clear in my mind. Uh, And I'm an Ohio guy through and through. So for me, it wasn't a tough choice between the two. Uh, As I said, I, you know, I, I took that unofficial visit, but never took an official visit to Michigan. Um, but, uh, you know, you just, you hear about that rivalry and then, you know, when you're actually a part of it and you step onto that field, uh, you know, it's something I wish every fan could experience because game day on a day like that is just, it's just so overwhelming and exhilarating, uh, coming out of that tunnel and seeing the explosion of light. It's just like something that you've never seen before. And I can't say that I dreamed about it from the time that I was a kid, specifically about Ohio State, Michigan. Uh, But being a part of it was just absolutely incredible.
1: Any atmosphere in the NFL that could compare to that? Mm. Um, You know, champion,
0: I played in two championship games. You know, those are pretty intense environments, Mm -hmm. but it's just different in college. You know, in college, everybody decides to go to a certain school. So there's just a different field. There's just a different mentality. And I think the fan bases are are, are different as well. And the atmosphere is different. Um, so there are some pretty loud environments. I love playing at Green Bay. That rivalry was always amazing, and the fans are right on top of you. They're hostile. It's it's pretty cool. Notre Dame, uh, in, in, in college, you know, those those places are amazing. But then you get in the NFL and Places like Kansas City, uh, you know, just get so loud. I mean, it's it's obnoxious, but it's the greatest thing in the world when you can silence those fans. That's just that's uh, what you always shoot for.
1: Yeah, it certainly puts a smile on your face. And you mentioned Pittsburgh. I've got to think that Franco Harris was somebody maybe that you oh, yeah. looked up to it as well. Once you got into the NFL, had, had you had a chance to to meet him and and learn about the person as well as the player that he was? I
0: didn't end up meeting Franco until 98. He played in my golf tournament in Columbus and just what a, what a great human being. Yeah. So I had a chance to meet Franco. Of course, I've I've met Marcus a number of times over the year, had a chance to meet sweetness uh, as well, um, you know, before his unfortunate passing. Um, But yeah, it was, it it was amazing. And I remember the first game that um, so I'll I'll back up and, and tell you uh, my late brother, he was two and a half years older, unfortunately passed away uh, about six years ago. Um, but when I was young, talking about six, seven years old, he became a Cowboys fan. And so I wanted to take the other side in the Super Bowl. <laughs> so I became a Steelers fan, not really thinking about, you know, a hometown team or anything like that. To me, it was just about Steelers all the way. But I remember the first time that Terry Bradshaw and Fox did one of our games. I believe it was 95 up in Green Bay. And after the game, I ran over to the desk and introduced myself to Terry. It was just like, this is just the coolest thing in the world. Uh, but, you know, you have experiences like that when you're a player that are just, you know, that it, it just kind of drops your jaw. Yeah. You know, I was in my very, so this, I get drafted. And the next week I go up to Minnesota for, for minicamp. And I'm sitting next to Roger Craig in the meeting room. And I'm like, this is just, this is unreal.
1: Yeah. Again, growing up in that era, some of the running backs you got to see and then eventually play with, as you said, 1993, you get drafted uh, first round uh, 21 pick by the Vikings. So, so obviously, you know, your your shorter career at Ohio State, it doesn't look like it, it hurt your stock at all. Maybe helped it, as you said, with your, your previous meeting with Dennis Green. Is that kind of the way you look at those years leading into getting drafted by the Vikings?
0: Yeah. And, you know, for me, I was just I was grateful to have an opportunity, you know, having only played two years at Ohio State and having the controversy. You know, there's there are always going to be questions about your commitment to the game and your commitment to compete and, um, you know, having an opportunity to answer that getting drafted in the first round. Just absolutely incredible. And it just couldn't have been a better place. Uh, You know, Denny was like a like a father. Uh, to me and I wanted to prove the world right or prove him right uh, for for drafting me. And so it was just a, it was an incredible experience.
1: There from 93 to 2000 you had some good teams. you had a lot of quarterbacks <laughs> during your time as well. Jim McMahon, Warren Moon, Brad Johnson, Randall Cunningham, uh, Dante Culpepper. what was it like to have that position just just change over a lot? I mean again you you play with a lot of the greats in the game, but just the consistency wasn't there.
0: Yeah, but you know it's it's just something that uh, you deal with. Um, you know, it's you as a young player, uh, you're just trying to figure out your own things, right? Uh, like Rich Rich Gannon was in camp when I was a, a rookie, and I, like I didn't even know that he got traded. Like I just thought, uh, you know, it, uh, apparently he got traded, and as you mentioned, Jim McMahon was there, Sean Salisbury was there, uh, but Rich Gannon. Uh, got traded. I like, I like. He's just not around anymore, and that's something that you, you know. As a player, you're just like, oh well. I like you. You just kind of get used to it. Yeah. I remember our offensive coordinator Jack Burns got fired like three games into the season. I'm like, they fire coaches during the season? Like, I, had not, I was I wasn't watching the game that closely from the outside, so I, I didn't hear about you know all of the different moves made with coaching staffs and things like that. It was a, a total surprise to me but our offensive coordinator ended up being Brian Billing and, uh, and the defensive coordinator was Tony Dungy. So we had a, we had a pretty good staff and a pretty good team.
1: Yeah. You had some, uh, exactly. Some great coaches during that and time you, frame. And,
0: and you forgot, you forgot Jeff George, Jeff George, right. Jay, Fier- Jay Fielder. I mean, Fiedler, you know, Randall. I mean, we just, we had so many, so many uh, different
1: quarterbacks there. It was, it was crazy. Is there one that fit? best with your game
0: uh, I can't really say that there was one that fit best with my game I mean you know I remember when Warren was there uh, you know it, it just it it, it kind of uh, just left me in awe <laughs> the first time I met him you know at the hotel you know he's got arms full of uh, he's got arms full of like the, uh, uh, the little styrofoam uh, baskets and uh he's got his dinner and i'm like going to shake his hand he's like fumbling things around like (laughs) like here no i need to shake your hand um but once you get over that you realize that uh you know the the quarterback's doing their job and you've got your job and everybody else has their job so you really focus in on what the task is at hand uh but for me as far as what quarterback fit best i can't really say they were all fun uh to play with in in different ways um, and it was always uh, it was always exciting because we always had some talent in the backfield and on the outside and, 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 at, and that tight end. Uh, so we always had some weapons. So we, we always had some really good offenses.
1: Well, 1997, maybe your breakout year, one thousand two hundred twenty six yards. Is that how you look at that season for you? Do you consider that your breakout year in the NFL?
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the first game of the year, I had uh, torn my PCL and MCL the year before, before um, horse collar tackles <laughs> were were illegal. Um, it was a Monday night football game, Walt Harris against the Bears, and uh, pulls me down. And I, I remember going back to the huddle. And after all I had been through, I tore my ACL my rookie year, had a bad ankle injury that put me out uh, my third year in the league in 95, Uh, For most of the end of the year, that was before high ankle sprains were called high ankle sprains. Uh, And then there in 96 toward the MCL PCL. And, you know, really even thought about retiring at that point was like, I just got to fight through this. And I remember in 97 coming back, you know, feeling great. And in the first game against uh, Buffalo Bills up there uh, in Buffalo, scored on like a 70, 75 yard run i second. I'm back, man. I'm back, and uh, stayed healthy most of the year. Missed a couple games, uh, but felt really good, and you know, felt that I was really hitting my stride, quite literally.
1: Aside from that tackle that led to the injury, who, who was the hardest hitter that you had to face? Do you, re- do you remember one hit? Oh yeah, that you you remember to this day?
0: Oh yeah, um, it was a – so we so before they had the. Um, Uh, but what is the, what is the six? It was called six days to Sunday. What is that? What is that show called now? Uh, Where they go into hard knocks? Hard knocks. Yeah. Um, So before hard hard knocks, they had this six days to Sunday that they would do and they would come in and they'd interview us during the course of the week and watch us in the locker room. And we played the Cowboys that weekend. And it was a Sunday night game. And I can't remember if it was Darren Woodson or, or if it was Brock Marion. But I remember wide receiver. I think it was Jake Reed. I thought the wide receiver was going to have him blocked and, and didn't. And, man, they caught me right in the ribs with their helmet. And, you know, I don't know why players aren't told this on day one about losing or about getting the wind knocked out of you, but you should be told because <laughs> I was literally on the field like <clears> – <throat> And I, like I couldn't catch my breath, and I I don't and I don't remember it ever happening around me either, which is kind of weird now that I think about it. But I was convinced that I was going to die on national TV, and I get to the you know I catch my breath, I walk to the sideline, and I'm laughing as I'm getting to the sideline, and everybody's asking me well, why are you laughing, and I said because 20 seconds ago I was convinced that I was going to die on national TV. <laughs>
1: In today's day and age, you know, again, maybe those hits aren't as, well, maybe they're as vicious, but but you can't get away with them. C- c- is, you think it's easier now to play in the NFL to be a running back in the NFL, maybe to, to not have those kind of hits these days.
0: Well, you still have those kind of hits. I mean, yeah. it was a it was it was a clean shot. It was like a helmet and basically a helmet to the midsection. Uh, I think it's easier to play wide receiver. Yeah. Um, I think some of those hits that they took back in those days, they don't have to think about now. But you're still going to take shots. And uh, as Chris Carter said, uh, you know, going across the middle, it makes the great ones average and the average ones pathetic.
1: Well, you mentioned Chris Carter, a Hall of Famer. What, what was it like playing with with him? And and again, you talk about some some really good teams, really good offense with Brian Billick there leading the charge. What was it like playing with him? You
0: no, know, just it was amazing. I mean, Chris was just such a competitor you know, on and off the field. I remember my brother played, uh, you know, uh, like the, uh, C league, uh, basketball, like where they would just, you know, kind of have the, uh, the teams that would play after, uh, after classes on campus. And he, and he talked about how intense Chris was playing basketball. He was one heck of a basketball player too. Uh, but he was that kind of guy that, uh, you know, you just always count on third down. He's, going to be rising up making a play just always found a way to get open and he wasn't one of the faster guys you know always he said hey they got to cover me at my speed you know and uh, if that quarterback is placing the ball where it needs to be and I got a chance to get my hands on it I'm gonna catch it so you know playing around that kind of intensity but also learning from you know some of the some of the mistakes that he made uh, because Chris would be so intense and when he's trying to talk to other players you really have to understand the room. You know, you have to know your audience when you're trying to be a leader. Some guys don't take it the same way. And I remember having conversations with Chris about some of the things he would say uh, to some of the younger linemen in particular. Um, And, you know, you just you kind of have to learn that. I think uh, being a leader is understanding how to lead. Uh, So you take the good uh, and, and you learn from the mistakes.
1: That's interesting. We've had Kadri Ismail, a teammate of yours, on this show previously, and he, he kind of said it was kind of give and take with, with Chris Carter as well. There were some pluses, some minuses when you look <laughs> at the uh, the wide receiver room there for, for those guys. But for you, a lot of pluses in 2000. You led the NFC in rushing over 1,500 yards. You're a pro bowler for a second time that year as well. And, and then you retired. But take us through that season and, and maybe, you know, how you felt during that year. If 97 was your breakout year, obviously 2000 was your best season running the football.
0: Yeah, I just felt in total control that year. Um, you know, we had uh, Mike Tice was the offensive line coach at that time. And and Mike started to have the uh, running backs and the offensive line meet together. So we had a really good understanding of what it was that they saw, how they blocked certain techniques. They had a feel for what we wanted or didn't want, uh, you know. Don't try and turn guys because a lot of times, you know, they'll they'll fall off. Just get a helmet on. You know, we'll we'll do the rest. Uh, so really, uh, just felt as comfortable as ever. But, you know, when I tore my ACL my rookie season, I also broke the bottom of my femur and did some damage to that cartilage that's on the bone, the articular cartilage, and that was wearing down. Uh, so I had a couple of microfracture uh, microfracture surgeries done to try and help. Regrow that that cartilage once, I believe, after '98, and then again after that 2000 season. So it was the only season that I didn't miss any games, and I still needed knee surgery. So in my mind, I was thinking, you know, do I want to be a 45 year old knee replacement guy? Um, and I, I I certainly was thinking about long term health. Didn't have kids at the time, but always wanted to have kids. Wanted to be able to run around and play with the kids. And in my mind, you know, the way I said it was you know, it's better to walk away early than to limp away late. Um, I avoided the last two years of my deal uh, with performance incentives. Uh, so I was completely free to return there or gone somewhere else. But I, you know, I didn't want to go and play for anybody else but Denny. Um, so I made the decision to walk away from the game. And actually, it was, uh, you know, probably the greatest compliment that I ever received in my career or, I, or just after my career, actually, uh, was in August getting a call from Brian Billick, who had just won a Super Bowl, and uh, Jamal Lewis had gone down with an injury, and Brian called me up and said, hey, you know, if, if you want to come back, uh, you know, we've got a place for you, and uh, I said, you know, Brian, <laughs> you're the only
1: guy in the league uh,
0: that I would, you know, uh, even consider playing for, uh, but I think that uh, I made the right choice.
1: Yeah, you're certainly a, a different breed. I mean, it, it's not easy, and it can't be easy to walk away from a sport that you grew up playing and playing it professionally. Sometimes it, it's got to be hard for players to say, "Hey, it's time." But but for you, as you said, it, it was easy. Eight years, you know, almost 7,000 uh, rushing yards. No, no regrets on your end as you look back now. That that you're happy with the the eight years and stepping away, as you said, healthy, relatively healthy.
0: Yeah, no, no question about it. And, you know, I get from what I feel in the knee and the way that it swells up now. Yeah. If I had gone back and played a few, few more years, I think I definitely would have been a 45 year old knee replacement guy. Here I am at 51, feeling pretty good. Uh, don't don't do much to stress it. Uh, I don't run really, you know, except just throwing the ball around a little bit uh, with my kids uh, or, or chasing down the Aerobee, uh, you know, something like that. Um and it'll swell up from golfing, you know. So uh, I, I definitely think it was the right choice to make. It wasn't necessarily easy because uh, you know I had spent so much time and, and and you know had proven so much coming back from the injuries. You know there was definitely a part of me, especially with the way I mean my last game was a forty-one nothing game when we lost to the Giants in the Nat- or the uh, NFC Championship game. So um, that uh, that almost got me back for another year at least, but. Uh, you know, uh, discretion is a better part of valor. So uh, moving on, I think at that time, I still believe is the right choice.
1: As you look back at your eight years, what's, what's the highlight of your career, do you think, from a playing standpoint? As you said you're playing for a couple of championships, never caught, got over the hump to get to a Super Bowl. But uh, what do you see as you look back fondly and, and, and what brings some good emotions back to you?
0: You know, I think really just having to overcome so much, you know, all of the injuries early in my career and then being able to fight through those and come back and, you know, run and have, you know, four consecutive thousand yard seasons on, you know, a couple of a couple of repaired knees, um, you know, just kind of uh, proving Denny right. uh, That, again, was something that was always in my mind. You know, he made the decision to draft me in the first round. And it was the first, because of the Herschel Walker trade, actually, Uh, it was the first first round pick, I believe, that they had since 1988 uh, when they took Randall McDaniel. So uh, making that decision to take me in the first round, I wanted to go out there and prove that he made the right decision.
1: So you decided to retire eight years. What what, what were you thinking you were going to do? As you said, you you thought maybe a a career in medicine, that didn't uh, come to fruition. But what were you thinking was going to happen after retirement?
0: Well, before I actually retired, I got involved with a company that was doing things in, in the healthcare space. Uh, so this is the beginnings of e-commerce on the internet. And so they were doing some things in e-commerce, uh, claims analytics on the, on the uh, pharmacy and medical side. And long, long story short, that company never really went anywhere and did anything, but I wanted to go work with them. And that's what I did. Um Actually, before I retired, I was doing that, but then into retirement, but it was the uh, genesis really of, of the fan huddle was first fan health network idea for me was working uh, with a healthcare company as soon as I was out of the game.
1: When did broadcasting uh, emerge as something that, okay, this is where I can still talk football, still kind of get that niche, but, uh, but uh, it's a broadcasting career, which obviously has, You've done well in that that profession.
0: Well, it was uh, 2004, I released a book uh, called The Rest of the Iceberg. Mm -hmm. And I started doing a bunch of interviews nationally for that. And an agent, Jim Ornstein from William Morris Entertainment, called me up and said, hey, you know, would you be interested in doing television? I'm like, what, like CNN? And he's like, no, let's let's start off with uh, sports. And uh, I was like, well, I don't really watch sports. Um, but he said, well, you know, ESPN's got this opening in college. Uh, I believe Trev Alberts had just been released. Uh, and so they had this opening up there and said, hey, why don't you, why don't you, uh, you know, try and get into sports broadcasting? And, you know, I it, it, it really shocked me because it was something I never thought I would do. And I never realized how much I missed the game and really how much love I had for the game. Because for me, when I was in it, You know, you're so focused in on what you do. You're not necessarily thinking about all the different pieces of the game. And that's something that I've really grown to love, you know, seeing all the intricacies of of the different positions and uh, seeing why a play works and why a play doesn't work. And, you know, uh, throughout my broadcasting career, being able to kind of share not just my stories, uh, but to be able to pick those pieces out. And to see the game from a player's perspective and be able to share that, and hopefully educate uh, and entertain viewers, uh, it's it's really cool. It's fun.
1: Yeah, you've been with Fox now since 2016. It, is it also kind of hey, you're back with the team again? This is no. you're know, working with a team every week to get better and to and to do your job on a on a Sunday afternoon.
0: No question about it. And uh, you know that's the way that you know I approach it. Um, you know, try and share information, anything that I have during the course of the week that I find out that may help the broadcast or, uh, you know, my, my partner in the booth. Um, I definitely see it as a team effort and everybody has just been so supportive and, you know, being able to get good feedback. It's, it's, it's important, I think. And, you know, I think for players, they understand how to take coaching and it's, it's nice to hear compliments but criticism helps you move forward, helps you improve. You know, what areas can I get better in? And I study what other broadcasters do. Uh, I want to know, you know, what are they pointing out? What are they missing? Uh, so I, I, when I try and watch games now, I'm, I'm definitely analyzing every bit of it. You know, from graphics uh, to commentary. Uh, what could have made this broadcast better, or what is really great about this broadcast that I enjoy?
1: Yeah, as a broadcaster myself, I can't sit and watch a, a game because you're listening to everything and yeah. seeing how you could take something away from that. And, okay, that's a great way to describe something. I may have to try <laughs> to work that I into my broadcast. I mean, borrow well. that. That's right. <laughs> All the best ideas, as you say, are borrowed. Yeah. Uh, as you have a chance to go around, and, and, again, I'm sure you're meeting some of the players, meeting some of the running backs. Do they look to you for any advice? And, again, a guy that had a great career – but knew when to walk away. Do you ever have those guys come to you and say, listen, you know, I'm thinking about the same thing. What do you think? How'd you, how'd you kind of convince yourself that it was the right time?
0: Yeah, I've had players uh, in the past reach out um, through representatives about uh, transitioning out of the game, but it's been a long time since something like that's happened. And I think, you know, the further and further you get from the game, people are like, you know, that's a broadcaster for Fox. That's not a football player. Right. So. Um, that I think the, the current players, they hear so many things. They have so many voices in their ears. They don't, uh, they're, they're not looking for another one a lot of times.
1: If I can ask you, obviously, 2013, you became, went public about your, your alcoholism, right? Um, you know, why at that time and, and what gave you the confidence to kind of come forward at that time and, and tell your story and maybe try to help other people as well?
0: It was Chris Carter coming out and talking about it at the Hall of Fame. And I was thinking, you know, the, the 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 best way to handle a situation like that or to, you know, try and be honest about something is to be honest with everybody. And, you know, if, if nothing else, having a voice, having a public voice, if you can't help people that are struggling, then what are you really doing? If, you know, if you're not making the world a better place and, uh, you know, it's 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 an illness that a lot of people like to keep from other people because it's embarrassing or it can be embarrassing Uh, it can be humiliating and you know you don't like to feel that you're different from other people but you realize that so many other people out there uh, can benefit from it and so i made that decision
1: and it seems like now you know with mental health and everything else i mean people are talking about stuff yeah did you come up at a time where, again, people weren't talking about that and, and, and you, you kind of kept things to yourself?
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, growing up with it in the household, uh, you know, it was, it was in my face pretty early. Um, and even even then, you know, it's, it's not the kind of thing, you know, you want to tell your neighbors, right? Uh, and you know that some people are figuring that stuff out on their own. But, yeah, I think that that's, that's something that, uh, that you have to learn how to deal with. Uh, you know, you, the the shame around it, uh, the feelings of inadequacy, even if those things aren't your fault, uh, you just have to deal with them. And I think the thing that really stands out about alcoholism or any addiction is that it, it's not your fault personally, but it's definitely your problem. And it's a problem that you need to deal with. And if you want to be able to live the life that you want to live, if you want to be the person that you want to be, you have to confront that. And so, you know, alcohol is only a struggle if you let it be a struggle. Uh, you know, it was never, never a fair fight. Uh, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a very powerful addiction uh, like so many others. And uh, you really need to do the things that you need to do uh, to maintain sobriety.
1: Were there any concerns bringing that up with your employers and, and worried about if there was gonna be any kind of backlash during that time?
0: Uh, you know, there really wasn't. I really didn't think about it that way. Um, You know, they were they were very supportive and wanted to get the story out and invited me to speak at some company functions talking about it. So um, I think it's it's something, again, that a lot of people deal with, but not everybody's talking about. And I think the more open we can be with it, uh, the better off the people that are still struggling, still going through it uh, will be.
1: Again, a successful broadcasting career. Now you've started Fan Huddle, and it's a, about health and well-being. Tell us about that project, and and maybe that all plays in the role of everything that's happened in your life as well.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. And you know, I talked about that company that never went anywhere, that failed venture. And uh, you know, it, it's interesting. It was you know months after uh, becoming sober back in 2012 um, that I, had, I read this book about the founding of Facebook. And how it spread through the colleges, and you know this idea really started to come together because I had started to learn about apps, all the things that they were capable of. Um, started to get into social media uh, for better or for worse. For the first time, I got into social media in the in the early fall of 2012, and really saw this convergence of mobile technology, of digital health, social media, gamification, and thought wow, people are such big, passionate fans of sports. Let's use that as a vehicle to try and help people live better and healthier lives. Uh, Again, it's about trying to have a positive impact. And, you know, the the way that I saw it initially was let's create this fun experience. Let's make it uh, American Idol meets Biggest Loser meets WebMD meets Amazon and have competitions where people are, uh, you know having these competitions between schools and between teams and we've we've pivoted a couple of times uh you know trying to find the the right product market fit and we've settled now on uh on a content strategy and and we're working with some big insurers and population health companies and you know it's taken a long time a lot of money uh you know a lot of uh, tough founder stories uh, but it's but it's definitely been worth it and i think uh, you know, as, as more and more people get access to it, uh, you know, the more lives we can help improve. And, you know, our content strategy, it's based on three main pillars, movement, mindset and lifestyle. I mean, movement's pretty obvious talking about exercise. But when you start talking about mindset and you start talking about resilience and, and mindfulness, uh, you know, trying to become a complete person and thinking about all aspects of your being but then that moves into the lifestyle because diet and sleep in particular are just so important to that puzzle because if you're not getting proper rest, if you're not, don't have proper diet, uh, you know, those things can really impact each other because the more stress you feel because you're not sleeping properly, you move to, to higher fat, higher sugar foods, and it's, it's a vicious cycle. And so we think we can really help people Improve their lives when they're thinking about performance, competition, and achievement, hearing these genuine stories from these different athletes and hearing some of their own stories, in particular with some of the former players. I'd mentioned Raymond Harris, and we uh interviewed him for one of our pieces, and he was talking about how as he got older, started to see his cholesterol numbers go up, realized that there was a family history, and he ended up becoming a vegetarian because of that. So you know, genuine stories like that. And people can say, yes, these people were elite athletes, but especially as they move into retirement, they're eating the same way, but not working out the same way. A lot of times they have some of the same issues that we do. So how do we how do we live a healthier, uh, more productive life? And that's that's what it's all about.
1: And you've partnered with the NFL Players mm-hmm. Association as well. We saw Emmett Smith there. You, you have those former players that are actually kind of instructors. How, how is that tied into this?
0: Yeah, so they uh, We interview them. Okay. Uh, we have a process where we talk. We talk to them about what interests they have, uh, what what types of charitable contributions, what you know, what what drives them, and then we do the content pieces based on what we've learned from those interviews. Uh, for example, Eddie George, big into yoga. So we talked to him about why he liked yoga, how it helped him in his playing days. But then we incorporate some of those videos into yoga programs. So Eddie will start off by talking about why he liked it, and then there'll be an uh, an expert in yoga. Yoga might be yogurt too, <laughs> uh, but they uh, you'll have an expert in yoga come in and talk about the program and take you through some beginning routines. And then there'll be like a uh, a halfway message when you complete uh, from Eddie. And then another uh, message from Eddie at the end of it. So we have short form pieces, long form pieces. uh, But the great thing is, you know, you talked about the relationship with the NFL PA. It's been amazing. I've been working in some capacity with them for almost 30 years now and serve on the NFL pension and disability board now. But the relationship with them and their venture arm, my company is the first one I'm proud to say, uh, and I believe still the only company founded by a former player. That their venture arm's ever done a deal with, so it's been an incredible relationship uh, with them. But we really feel that we can help change lives uh, by uh, using these genuine stories from these athletes.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that's helpful as anybody's kind of trying to stay in shape to see a pro athlete and kind of be able to try to relate to them on that level. That's got to be a plus. It's not just. You know, a cookie cutter app or anything like that—it's—it's it's kind of some real world concepts that sh- that you're providing for these people.
0: Yeah, and in the in, in this space, in this wellness yeah. space, we're the first company that actually had the TV. has the TV apps too. So it's about convenience, right? You sh- you should be able to take your phone. I do this all the time. You know, t- take a phone or an iPad. Uh, you know, do do a yoga workout, Pilates workout, um, and you get great instruction. You can do it wherever you are. And I think what we learned over COVID, a lot of people is you don't have to pay. And this is this is you know kind of our mantra. You know, people shouldn't have to pay two thousand dollars for a bike, or pay forty dollars a month uh, for this premium content. Their healthcare providers should uh, offer it to them, and that's what uh, these uh, big insurers that we're working with. I uh, can't mention uh, the names right now. Um, actually, I can mention Optum under United Health. We, we launched with them in August. Um, but there's a, another big insurance company and a big population health company that uh, we're working on uh, finalizing deals with. So we're excited about the reach that we're going to have.
1: Yeah, doing some great things and uh, more great things that come with Fan Huddle. Uh, I know you're doing some content you were telling us prior to uh, starting here, some other stuff that you're doing uh, talking about the NFL and getting ready for the draft now as well.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. You know, just it's, it, it's really a demonstration of the power of the NFL and just how all year long the stories of the NFL yeah. really drive sports media and how the draft and the numbers that uh, people are going to see for the draft, uh, broadcast numbers, can be better than uh, games and other sports. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, really excited that I'm going to be going to Kansas City. I'm going to be announcing the Vikings second day pick. Uh, so 30 years after after getting drafted, 30 years and two days after I got drafted. Uh, I guess it'll be three days because if I, I'll be announcing on the second day. So on Friday. But um, just uh, really excited about, about that. But just kind of learning uh, all the different players and why one guy, why why a team thinks one guy is better than another. And you hear all the stories and the controversies like with CJ Stroud and the S2 test and, you know, people having doubts about that. And there are all sorts of reasons that teams will pick one player or another, but they're not always right. And if you listen to general managers, they'll tell you, you know, if you can get 50% out of the first two rounds, that's pretty good. And that's really kind of stunning, right? Because we're so convinced that, we know what these players are going to be, but you just never know what a guy is going to be when he actually gets around all of the great athletes, the consistent competition, getting pushed, uh, going through the struggles of the NFL. It's just a completely different beast than it is in college.
1: Yeah. You certainly learned that again, the business side of it early on in your career. You mentioned the draft. You mentioned the Vikings. Mm-hmm. I've got to ask you at Marinero. Was a guest of ours previously. He was he announced a draft pick last year, went viral the way he did. Have have you reached out to him for any tips on how to announce uh, this year's draft pick for the Vikings? No,
0: mine's going to be a lot shorter, too. So I think I learned that. Um, But yeah, it's it's exciting. I just I can't wait to be in that atmosphere. I never I didn't go to the draft uh, when I got drafted. So uh, being around that environment is going to be really cool.
1: And again, so tied to the Vikings, the 40th anniversary team, you're on that. One of the 50 greatest Vikings of all time as well. Uh, does that surprise you at all? Because your career was somewhat short, eight years again, although running back, uh, you know, that that's a lot of years <laughs> for a running back. But but still, you certainly made an impact during your eight seasons.
0: No, I was, I was I'm proud to have played for just one team. And when you stick around like that and you put together some healthy years, you should be on that list, right? You know, as a running back, especially back in that era when, you know, there was, there was more emphasis on the run game. Uh, and that was a, it was a great experience for me. And that last year ended up, you know, becoming the, the team's all-time leading rusher. And, of course, Adrian uh, surpassed that a number of years later. But uh, it's, it's always an honor to be mentioned with those great names like Adrian, uh, like Chuck Foreman, Bill Brown, just so many great Viking running backs over the years.
1: All right. That leads us to to what we teased at the beginning here, your top 10 running backs of all time. I know it was on the, the website we looked at before we got started here, but uh, take us through your, your top 10 running backs of all time.
0: Oh, geez. Well, I'd have to go back and, and look at the list. Uh, I think at number 10, I had OJ Simpson, Uh, you know, obviously OJ had a great career and, you know, what people may not know, you know, with the 14 game season, when he rushed for 2000 yards, he had more than 143 yards per game average that year, really, uh, an incredible year. Uh, and I think at nine, I had Marcus Allen. I'm going to have to go back and, and, and look at this, uh, you know, and, and I think the thing that people don't know about Marcus is that, uh, you know, Marcus, uh, Oh, I actually, I think I had Eric. I might have had – oh, there we go. Yeah, I did have Marcus at nine there.
1: There you remember. go. JR's helping you out here.
0: There, there you go. Hey, man, I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, with with Marcus, you know, he had 587 receptions, almost 600 receptions. really incredible what he was able to do in his career. We all remember the big touchdown run in the Super Bowl where he reversed field. Just a, a really exciting player to watch. And, of course, Eric Dickerson, man, he was just so smooth. And, you know, when I was a kid watching him run, I just loved how effortless he was when he was running. And, of course, he was a a pony down here in the Dallas area at SMU, and he ran like a pony as well, but uh, put up huge numbers. And then number seven, my guy, Adrian Peterson, I just remember watching him run in Oklahoma when I was a college football analyst for ESPN. It was like, guy runs like he's mad about something. (laughs) It was just so, so cool to watch. Obviously, he went over 2,000 yards as well, almost broke OJ Simpson's all time uh, season rushing record. Uh, and then at number six, Ladanian Tomlinson, I think he gets overlooked, yeah. um, you know, because of, you know, just, I, I'm not sure, maybe just because of the championships or not having the championships, whatever the case may be. But, you know, to do what he did running and catching the ball. And, uh, you know, at number five with Marshall, you know, we overlapped. He was at, Uh, San Diego State uh, when I was at Ohio State. So I remember watching him run there, but 767 receptions. I mean, he's like in top 50 in all-time receptions in the league. So uh, incredible career for Marshall. And then, of course, with Emmett, you know, 15 years at running back, 164 touchdowns. And You know, people that argue against him, they say, oh, we had a great offensive line. Well, he's still running his ass off. And, you know, I remember the game where – had the bad shoulder injury and, uh, you know, just a, just tough as nails. Uh, and, of course, you know, the, the greatest ability is availability. And he's one of those guys that was available uh, almost every game. And then Barry Sanders, I think he's the best pure runner of all time. Um, you know, I had a chance to, to play against him. And, you know, the thing that I always said was it was it was fun to watch him, but it was nerve wracking for me. Because I'd, I'd put up some big numbers in a game. You know, we were playing Lions, right? i put up some, some good numbers against the Lions and, uh, you know, hoping that we would win the game and Barry bust off, a, you know, a long touchdown run. <laughs> so it was always it was always like, I you know, the yards are great, but I'd ra- rather have the win. And Jim Brown at number two, I know a lot of people have him number one. And the only reason I don't have him number one is he was just so physically dominant. Like he was, you know, I trucked a few cornerbacks in my day too. Like if I, everybody I was playing against, Was, uh, you know, my size or smaller, I would have had a lot more yards, too. That's not taking anything away from him because he was just so dominant in his nine years and, of course, walked away uh, to do other things, Uh, but just an incredible player. And then Walter Payton, sweetness at number one. He's the only guy on the list that didn't play for a major college, uh, the pride of Jackson State, uh, HBCU. Uh, So Walter Payton, you know, just running the ball, catching the ball, blocking Uh, throwing the ball through he's the only he's one of the only running backs ever to throw two uh, touchdown passes in a game He was a backup quarterback just an all-around great player and great person and then the longevity
1: yeah
0: you know in his 12th season he ran for more than 1300 yards 12th season after all the carries after all the hits that he had taken and given throughout his career just amazing what he was able to do
1: yeah, what is it like 3 or 4 years is a longevity on average for a running back these days? Oh, it's about less- it that. Yeah. I mean,
0: you know, that that counts players that are just coming in the league and leaving as well, but it's highly competitive and we've seen yeah. what's happened in the running back market. I mean, it's tanked. It's it it's tanked. You know, you got two 15 million plus guys in uh, Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey and most of those guys are down in that 10 range now. So Defensive linemen, edge rushers, quarterbacks are obviously in a different uh, stratosphere. But uh, guys are making twice as much uh, as running backs that are playing on the defensive side. Receivers making twice as much as running backs. And you see guys that are trying to get into the trade market, and they realize that there's really not a market there. Uh, We saw Kareem Hunt from the Browns. We saw Austin Eckler from the Chargers uh, try and enter that market, and it just hasn't been there. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott still sitting out there uh, Leonard Fournette still sitting out there Dalvin cook not sure what's gonna happen with him if he's gonna get traded or if the Vikings are gonna end up cutting him but the running market and running back market certainly has gone down quite a bit and quite frankly the, the reason is there are, there's an awful lot of competition and there are a lot of guys and they feel that uh, most players are interchangeable and that's why I, you know, I, I told you if I you know, went back and uh, uh, did it all over again, I'd be running routes with the wide receivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'd be catching balls all the time because your strength as a running back is really dictated by how versatile you can be and how many other things you can do besides take
1: a handoff. So who is that guy right now? Is there one running back that you see as, as being the guy, the best one currently in the NFL? Um, you know, I think Christian
0: McCaffrey's up there, Austin Eckler's up there. I mean, Dalvin, when he's healthy, he's been been great. Alvin, when he's been healthy uh and available, he's been great. Uh so you know, those those guys and Derek Henry's just kind of a he's kind of a throwback yeah. with what he can do. Uh, we saw those numbers decline at the end of the year, and you know, part of that I think is the lack of a passing threat, but part of it's probably him wearing down too, because Uh, the number of carries that he's taken over the last three, four seasons, really extraordinary. And eventually it wears you down.
1: Well, this has been a lot of fun. Again, uh, I know you said social media, you you've you've joined that. Is there a way for people to follow you or follow different things that you're doing, obviously with fan huddle and and some other uh, broadcast stuff that you're doing?
0: Yeah, I think uh, on fan huddle, we're on Facebook. uh, We're on Twitter. We're not really doing a lot uh, on the social side because we're mostly in the enterprise space uh, but I'm at uh I think I'm at Robert26 Smith on Twitter. I have to look it up myself. <laughs> Let's see.
1: Instagram as well?
0: Uh no, nah, I don't mess around with Instagram really. Let's okay. see. Okay. Yep, Robert26 Smith on Twitter.
1: <laughs> there you go. I'm trying to force two options since you don't you're not exactly sure what it is, but uh, but there you go. Follow you uh, on Twitter and uh and you've got some stuff coming up for the draft as well.
0: Um, well, I'm just going to be doing some more pieces for the 33rd team. Uh, you know, going to be doing some interviews in the in Minnesota area, probably on Thursday on draft on the first night of draft night. And then on Friday, uh, I'm sure I'll have some interviews that I'm going to be doing on the day that I'm announcing the pick.
1: There you go. Well, good luck with that. Good luck with everything. And, and again, we appreciate your time. Great story, uh, shared with us here today and, and certainly. You're no dumb jock. Uh, You've had a great career, and uh, we look forward to watching you on Sundays as well on Fox.
0: I appreciate it.
1: Well, once again, another great story. Good messages there as well from a guy that's not a dumb jock. It is Robert Smith, former NFL great running back with the Minnesota Vikings. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening today. As always, we remind you to subscribe to our shows. Make sure you do not miss another one. If you like this one, like it, share it as well. We'll see you next time for another edition, another great story in the front row with Mike Piccaro. Have a great day, everybody.